0: This is Your Bird Story, a broadcast of bird stories told by everyday people about their interactions and relationships with wild birds in cities. I'm your host, Georgia solvera Siemens. Hello, everyone. I have with me today two wonderful New York City-based birders, Akila and Alyssa, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves to our listeners.
1: Hi, my name is Akila Lewis. I'm a birder and environmental educator. I love all types of nature, but I really focus in on birds when I'm outdoors and learning more about them and our world around us.
2: Hi, my name is Alyssa, and I'm also a birder. I've been birding for three years, I think. And I am currently a master's student who is studying birds as well. Okay, thank you both.
0: I want to say that I started following you both on social media. I've only met Akila of the two of you in person, and I look forward to meeting you, Alyssa, in person. But you both have... Such beautiful um, social media presence. So you're both very positive in your energy, but also upstanding ethics. So you're sort of positive and strong about what being part of the birding community in New York City uh, means. So I want to go kind of way back in time and ask you both if you've come from birding families.
2: So no, I do not come from a birding family. I only recently found out about birding a few years ago, but I guess I can sort of elaborate in my experiences. Luckily, even though I grew up in New York City, my family was able to take me to outdoors activities, going to the parks, and going to also places like the Bronx Zoo and the Botanical Garden. So really, at like an early age, I sort of had a connection with nature, and wildlife and insects. And so my parents were able to support that by going outside and really helping sort of foster that connection. So I was really happy to do that. And then sort of later in life, that's when I really got into birds. And when I actually found out, we had birds here in New York City. Aquila.
1: So it's funny. I feel like my family definitely had a love for nature and being stewards. But I don't think I really was formally introduced to a birding or even like realizing people would go out and search for birds until maybe three, four years ago. But it's, I was just looking at photos of myself and some of my family members, including my grandma, sailing on the Clearwater for one of their Young Women at the Helm programs when I was just a little girl. And I'm like, you know, that I think, you know, it started from when I was young. And so my family was always encouraging us to explore and do things outside in nature, whether it's, you know, agricultural programs or working with zoos. So I feel like I've always had a connection, but didn't realize there was a word called birding.
0: Uh, Akila, you used the word steward. And I'm curious if you could talk about that word choice in describing your relationship to the outdoors?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think um, realizing that we play a role not only in impacting our environment in maybe harmful ways, but we can change that and really help our environment to improve it, as well as improve our own lives. So whether that's in our communities, and our Local gardens, rain gardens, local parks, building these green spaces out for us to enjoy.
0: Yeah, I think um, for folks who don't follow either of these two people um, online, they should. And, you know, Akilah, your point about ameliorating our environments to make them positive spaces for non human species uh, reminds me of some of the online advocacy work that Alyssa has been doing around birding ethics. And I'm wondering, Alyssa, if you could talk or tell listeners about why that is such a strong part of your birder identity.
2: That's really interesting. I'm not sure if I've fully analyzed why I've been so drawn to speaking out about it. Um, But I guess maybe just to rewind a little bit. Before I was even a birder, before I even started my master's degree, I was actually looking into a career as an environmental lawyer. So I've always been just passionate about sort of speaking out about things that are happening, um, particularly when it comes to the environment, you know, for people who are seeking environmental justice or for wildlife spaces that are being polluted wrongfully, and so maybe it was just sort of a natural inclination with my personality and just finding birding and realizing that although we all love this wonderful hobby of birding, that there are people who either A, don't fully know exactly what the right ways to treat wildlife are or to exist in nature, um, or B, sort of don't have really the right intentions all the time when they go out birding. and so they can often push the limits a little too far, you know, getting too close to a bird or intentionally flushing. And I've noticed that a lot of the times it's really people who are sort of seeking a particular photo or particular moment, um, or chasing a rare species that these things happen. Um, so I've definitely, I feel gone through a very, uh, long journey of sort of understanding the whole topic and fully like sort of coming to grasp with my emotions when I talk about it because I do get so passionate about um, birding ethics and I don't want to scare people off and get people upset unnecessarily because I don't think that really mm-hmm. serves any purpose so when I understood you know it's really not necessary or uh, it doesn't really serve a goal to constantly be getting a said about things that I hear on the news and hearing about people mistreating wildlife um I sort of then thought to all right well what are some ways that I can actually um talk about this in a way that people are getting educated and can actually do something about it so I was really happy when all the people on my account were so wonderful and supportive and I think majority of the people who follow me understand that wildlife is here as a uh, we are able to enjoy the hobby of birding, but we really should be respecting wildlife first and foremost. And since people have been appreciative and understanding the things that I say, it sort of definitely inspired me to keep going because I do see that, you know, the birds need our help in every way possible. So um, overall, it's just really, really gratifying for me.
0: Thank you for that. You started out the response by saying you hadn't... um, necessarily given it a lot of thought, but maybe subconsciously you've been thinking about it because that was a really, that was a deeply thoughtful response to the question. So thank you. Your response actually then sparked for me a question that I want to direct to Akila around her advocacy work in the environment, in the birding space, particularly around um Black Birders Week and Feminist Bird Club, thinking about how different kinds of people uh, interact with birds and use bird watching to um, support their identity, uh, whether it's something that's new for them or a continuation of family practices.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I, I think I forgot to mention earlier that I am the secretary of the Feminist Bird Club. And so we really work to have these inclusive birding spaces where we're all, you know, enjoying the birds. We're also enjoying our time amongst each other while birding. And so approaching birding in many different ways, whether we're, you know, sitting and watching birds that come to a feeder or observing them, listening, because there are many different ways to observe the birds. I feel like there's that, typical, you're going out to chase something, or you have to, like, achieve this goal of a number of species seen, or um, this rare thing, when it's, like, trying to just create this space where we all enjoy these birds, and that's what brings us together, and then also having these inclusive spaces for people who are not commonly represented in some of the other birding groups. So, you know, when I first started birding, I was with Audubon, New York. And I was birding for, you know, children. I was showing them the birds of Central Park. And the way we would approach that, to me, was such a fun way of birding. It was one of the first ways I was introduced to birding. And when I first started birding with predominantly adult groups, I was like, you know, oh, this is different. (laughs) And sometimes it becomes a competition or a contest of who can name the most or who can identify it the fastest if a bird is flying by who who saw it first then you know it's like I want everyone to enjoy that moment that we saw or heard or observed a bird and taking in all of the beautiful behaviors and feeding methods it's just so much to take in like why take it down to just I saw it or I saw it first you know Hmm. and Hmm. then with Black Birders Week just seeing the movement online and connecting with a lot of different black birders across the U.S. and even the world and seeing that there's more of us out there. So that was amazing and looking forward to what's in store for this year, 2022.
0: Yes, (laughs) I'm definitely looking forward to later on in the spring, early summer to see um, what that network of folks uh, brings together. Akilah, something you said, you know, the difference between bird watching with children versus with adults. And I wonder if you have a sense of what happens in between to sort of change that perspective, because you're an educator, you have experience with both age ranges. What do you think happens between that sort of really open curiosity that children Bring to the world and the sort of more as you said competitive drive that adults build to this same activity
1: that's that's a good question i'm I'm not sure, and I think some of it you know it can be from you know I'm kind of new ish to birding i but I think sometimes after doing it for a long time, maybe you want to mix it up and create sort of a game for yourself or, you know, some people keep a life list of all the birds they've seen throughout their life and they want to expand that and others keep a list for their year or, so I think they kind of make new systems for themselves to keep it interesting, keep it fun. So I feel like that, you know, on a normal level, yeah, I think that's cool. I love seeing birds in Queens. That's where I grew up. So I love seeing as many birds as I can in Queens but then also life gets in the way and I'm okay with that. So I think it's just everything in moderation. And I feel like with some of the students that I've worked with, I was creating different ways for them to notice the birds, whether we notice a nest, whether we notice droppings, maybe even footprints in the dirt or the soil. So we don't know what bird made that, maybe we can make a guess. Maybe we can try to use some context clues of where we are, but you know, that's okay. It's, we don't have to know everything. We can still explore and learn about maybe the plants that they ate. Mm-hmm. And I remember we even did a plant walk, um, plant birding tour Georgia and Prospect park. So it was like, when we didn't observe a bird, we were observing the plants and vice versa. And then even when they were interacting with each other. So I think keeping that curiosity, and not being afraid to not know the answer. I think that's really something that's should be explored more.
0: Yeah, that was a really fun experience. I hope we can do that again. I saw that Alyssa was a little bit nodding her head in the background when you were talking about mixing things up a bit when you're bird watching, so I wanted to ask her how she mixes up her birding practice. And then also just so I remember, I'm So, I don't know, grateful that Alyssa, you've been posting about the beauty of the common bird. In particular, lately you've been posting about the robin. So maybe we'll start there and we can then come back to how you mix it up in your birding practice.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually don't really plan my posts. So it goes by just the energy of what I'm feeling in the moment. And yes, with spring coming up, we're seeing a lot more robins and we're seeing, you know, fun species that we hadn't seen this whole winter and they're common, but they're exciting. And so, yeah, definitely um, robins are all are here all year round, but they're more active during the spring and summer. So I'm super excited to see them. I think coming from the photography side of things and even from the birding side of things, um, like Akila was saying, it can be maybe a little bit um. It can feel like you've done it all. You know, it it feels like every time you go out birding, you might see the same stuff or you might have the same experiences. One of the things that I've actually been thinking more about and trying to incorporate into sort of my birding routine is this idea of slow birding. I didn't come up with that term, but uh, if you follow Bird Diva on Instagram, they actually run these slow birding courses, which I'm thinking about signing up for because they sound really interesting. Um, But slow birding is this idea that you can sort of take a step back, relax, and really just observe nature all around you instead of having to constantly log on your eBird, you know, add to your life list or chasing a bird for a photo. It's really just sort of, appreciating and observing what's around you and even even observing common birds having interesting behaviors and I love robins in particular because they're just so rambunctious they are very active and the way that they feed is sort of just out in these open areas and they're constantly looking for worms and fighting amongst each other so they're very active birds and just super interesting to observe So yeah, I just find their behavior fascinating. It's one of the things that I have been posting a lot because it has been something that I've been noticing a lot more. Um, So I think you also asked, you know, like, what are some ways that we sort of mix up our own birding routine? And it definitely helps me to have like an ebb and flow where, you know, some days I go out and I just want to sit on a bench for an hour and look at the birds and, see what comes up to me. And then some days I really want to see as many species as I can or try and go for a life or try to see something new that I haven't seen before. Um, yeah, so it really depends on like the energy, of the moment, the season and what I'm looking to get out of the experience. But definitely like no matter what I do, I sort of always come away with just a new appreciation for birds. Thank you. Akila,
0: do you have some ways that you mix up your bird watching—it's
1: hard to say. Like I think I definitely am birding always. You know, there's even a podcast always be birding. But um, <laughs> I really like kind of like a like Alyssa was saying. You know, sit back and kind of watch what what happens or enjoy what happens. So in the summertime, in particular I really enjoy going to the beach, finding a nice quiet spot, and relaxing, you know, but then enjoying what passes by, whether it's a black skimmer or an oyster catcher building a nest. And then maybe I'll go and see if the piping plover are around in the rockaways. And then sometimes I'll see an osprey or the gulls are, you know, bothering someone for their French fries, but I just like enjoying that. So I'm doing something That is not necessarily birding. I'm at the beach enjoying myself with my friends, but then I'm also, I have my binoculars right by. So in case something sparks my interest, I'm like, I got to investigate more. I'll be right back. I can go to the jetties and see if there's purple sandpipers on them or, you know, just explore. But I, I definitely like a mix, but for me, I really enjoy like activities where kind of passively sitting or having a picnic and then, enjoying what's passing by but that doesn't mean I can't go for a hike or lead a tour with my friends or the feminist bird club or even for black birders week so I love combining it all
0: yeah and you're for both of you your friends are probably (laughs) used to you saying okay wait a minute and you don't even have to finish the sentence as you like go off to, <laughs> to check out the bird. Since you brought up both bird species and used the word spark, I'd love to ask you both what your spark birds are.
2: It's so hard. And I find that I sometimes answer with different stories, but maybe for this podcast, I'll give you two stories. Um, so I would say the first time that I really sort of interacted with birds was actually when I was at an internship with the parks department. So every morning I would have to leave my house at five o'clock in the morning and we'd start at six o'clock in the morning to go bird in in Van Cortland Park. And uh, during the summers, we have this really amazing bird called the wood thrush that just has this beautiful sound. And it's actually really funny because at the time, you know, during the summer, that's when robins also have their babies. And at that time they're already fledging. So if you're a newer birder, like I was, and you see a bird, that's a wood thrush. Both of them are thrushes, by the way, the robin and the wood thrush. And then you see their like fledgling American robins kind of running all over the place in the summer. I thought that all of the American robins were wood thrushes. And so I, I remember hearing the wood thrush and like connecting it with a bird that sort of looks like it. And I thought they were just way more abundant and everywhere that summer. So that, in a way, was kind of my spark bird, and I still had it as my favorite bird up until recently. And I changed it to the American woodcock, um, but it, it was my spark bird and my favorite bird for a really long time, despite that mix-up. And then the second story, which is really sort of when I got into birding, was because I was able to connect that we do have birds in new york city and then specifically we do have birds like within my local area honestly it sort of just happened when i was walking around in a park and during the spring and i noticed that there were these yellow birds and i had no idea what these yellow birds were doing in my park in the city in new york and so um i remember i had a camera on me so i was doing photography at the time but i just wasn't a birder so i remember taking a picture of it and then googling like What is a yellow, like what yellow birds are in New York city? And of course, like so many options popped up, you know, there's yellow warbler, there's American goldfinch, there's Baltimore Oriole, there's orchard Oriole. There's like so many different yellow birds. Uh, I think I I found out that it was a juvenile Baltimore Oriole. So that was, that was why it was a little bit yellower, but that after that moment, that's when I started birding. So maybe that was like sort of my second bigger spark bird. Yeah, those are my two stories about what got me started into birding. Thank you for sharing those with me. Yeah, those juvenile robins,
0: right? If you think about the juvenile and the adult, they look so different. I mean, that's kind of the thing. And even some birds were put into different species because people were seeing the immature and the adult and they thought they were different species. So um, there's so much variety variability diversity in the bird world and it makes it really engaging and you can never I don't think know it all and this is why it's such like a passion project for so many people
2: yeah totally
1: so it's funny because I think I got my spark bird or the bird that got me kind of started with birding during an internship as well so I was in the Student Conservation Association Hudson Valley Corps and we're placed throughout the Hudson Valley and in New York City so I was still in Queens and we went to our first training which I believe was around somewhere in the Hudson Valley at a like environmental center and everyone was gathered around kind of looking up and I'm curious I'm like you know what are we looking at And they're like, oh, there's a black-capped chickadee. And I I look up, I can see, like, a small little bird. And then someone's telling me, like, yeah, it has, you know, this on its wing and that on its belly. And I'm just like, how do you know that? And they go, well, it does. And I go, no, you're lying. They're like, why do you think I'm lying? I'm like, you can't see that from here. I'm like, I can't, like, you know, I can see a bird. I can't tell any what it looks like, really. The small little details are like a square patch on its rump. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, you need to prove to me that you can see that. And they're like, oh, well, you know, it, it shows that in the field guide. And I'm like, what's this field guide? <laughs> and I was just very defensive. I was like, don't lie to me. I need proof that you know that that bird looks like that. And so they're like showing me these field guys, these like bird games. And I'm just like, whoa, what is this? And then right after that training, we had a chance to go to the Cold Spring Audubon Center, which is in Cold Spring, New York. And I met one of the employees there. And I believe he was the director. And he's showing us the feeder again, like a different feeder. And the chickadees are coming and. Tit mice are coming. And I'm just like, how do you know what these birds are? He's like, you get to know them, you become familiar with how they sound and what they look like. He's like, you know, it becomes a habit. And I was like, this guy is great. I need to be better than him at (laughs) identifying these birds. (laughs) And I made it my challenge. Like that was one of my goals during my internship, not only to improve my environmental education skills, but I was like, I want to improve my birding skills and do what this guy is doing. And back down in New York City, that's what connected me with the Audubon chapter in the New York area, more close to the city. And that's how I started leading these children's groups around Central Park, Prospect Park, because I was like, if I have to teach these students, I really want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. And so that's really what started... Getting me to bird but I was doing most of that without a binoculars so it was really challenging but fun
0: yeah so for both of you it's sort of more than just the individual bird but the experience surrounding a particular species that got you into this habit as you say Akila. it's good that habits are hard to break because when they're good ones you definitely want to stick with them One of the reasons why I wanted to speak with both of you together, well, there are a few reasons, but one of them that you're both New Yorkers, and I would love for you to talk about what it means to be a New Yorker who is also a birder, because I think if you're not familiar with the city, you might think, whoa, well, how do these two things go together? So I would love for you both to sort of bust that myth in your own way.
2: Yeah, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? That we live in one of the biggest cities in the world. And we have also, in my opinion, I think we have one of the most largest and most wonderfully diverse birding communities in the world as well. And if it wasn't for the birding community here in New York, I don't think I would be as much of a birder as I am now. I mean, maybe I would be looking at birds, but definitely not involved in the community and going on bird walks and things like that. Yeah. I actually remember listening to an ABA podcast, American Birding Association podcast. And I thought it was really funny because sometimes they do birding news. But the funny thing is that you know, they were like, oh God, you know, every week we just always have news from New York City birding community, whether it's like a rare bird or something's going on. And maybe we just need to mix it up. Like we need to stop covering New York City now because their day they just have the craziest birds all the time. So I thought that was really, really funny. Um, cause yeah, we do get the craziest birds all the time. I think partially just by where we're located, you know, we have such diverse habitats here, but also cause our, birding community is just so active. We have people birding literally everywhere. There's really very few parks that are not actively birded. And so because of that, we sort of have eyes everywhere looking for cool stuff. Um, And it's just a really cool way to get to know people from so many different backgrounds that all come together to love this one hobby. So in my opinion, I love New York City birding, you know, as, as much as We have really big personalities here and and strong opinions. I am grateful for it. And I think, you know, it's just so cool for me also how one day I can be birding by the ocean. The next day I can be birding literally in the heart of the city. And in addition to seeing species of like so many, uh, such wide species of birds, you can meet also like an amazingly diverse group of people as well.
1: Yeah. And I want to add on to that. Like New York City is super diverse. Queens is one of the most diverse boroughs in the world. And I think, you know, that diversity really gives us strength and having these birding spaces that can embrace that. As an environmental educator, I like to highlight that there is nature in the city and we're part of that nature. And so whether it's, you know, the birds that come in through migration season to support their you know, nest building and raise their chicks or they're just passing through and stopping by. And these green spaces that are some ways limited in certain areas, but otherwise they're really expansive. Like, you know, the largest park is in the Bronx, Pelham Bay. And so, you know, there's some of the most like old growth forests in New York City in these city parks. And I feel like we need to acknowledge that and still explore these areas because they're here for us. And just like we're taking advantage of these spaces or we can, that's what the birds and the coyotes, you know, skunks, raccoons, deer, they're all taking advantage of these spaces. And so there is still thriving animal life and plant life in New York City. I think, you know, people just maybe not aware of it. And even one of my goals for the spring was I want to start looking for amphibians that might be taking use of the vernal pools in the city.
0: Oh, that's a good goal. Maybe you'll have to do like hashtag uh, vernal pools, New York City, uh, Akila. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. I, I love learning about vernal pools and the creatures that take advantage of them before they dry up.
0: You also have a degree in environmental sciences.
1: Yeah. So my degree is in coastal environmental studies. I got it at Stony Brook University. And it's funny because during my course load at Stony Brook, I actually avoided most biology classes. So I was more of like, in terms of environment, like a meteorologist, geologist, hydrologist kind of focus and chemistry. And I think I took a few biology courses, but I was like, I don't want to touch anything that's moving. (laughs) I love the soil and the water. We can see how that interacts with each other and the sun. That's great. I was like, if it's alive, I don't want to really handle that. So I remember learning about piping plover on Long Island beaches and how they're endangered. And I was just like, oh, that's a cute bird. And now I'm like, I seek them out in the summertime to see if their chicks are hatched.
0: Yeah, you've come like full circle. You've both mentioned places in the city, and I know you're both wide-ranging birders in the city. Do you have a favorite spot? Like if someone said, I'm coming to New York City, I want to see birds. Tell me where I should go.
2: Yeah. It really depends for me on the season. So spring migration is coming up. Let's say they just want to come for spring. I actually recommend Central Park. And as a matter of fact, I think Central Park is a a tourist destination for birders because you get really unique looks at them since we have at Central Park, like varying levels of height and vegetation. So normally warblers tend to be up high in the treetops. But in Central Park, you can actually get eye-level views of warblers. So I think that's a really unique experience for people who um, don't live in New York City. So definitely Central Park. And then also any coastal area. So Jamaica Bay is really amazing. Um, The Rockaways is also amazing. I love that place for oyster catchers because it's really cool that most people go there for the beaches. And you just see like this entire beach covered in people. And then you also just see oyster catches running around. So that's really cool. I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll pick those two places for now. So Central Park and Jamaica Bay and the Rockaways. Those are my top three.
1: Yeah, I, I really like to focus in on Queens parks just because I feel like sometimes the outer boroughs need a little more love out of the birding community. I, think, I feel like um, sometimes they can be a little difficult to get to, but Jamaica Bay, I definitely, I think is my top. Destination because I feel like it has amazing birds year round, whether it's winter and there's ducks or the spring migration and the warblers and songbirds are coming through or the nesting birds in the summertime. I feel like you can get a variety of birds throughout the year. Um, I remember I saw a bald eagle flying there. I think that was my first experience with the bald eagle in Queens, so that was really fun and also, I love going to Jamaica Bay on the way home from work. Sometimes I'll just stop by and then in the summer, I love stopping there in the morning before it gets too hot and then make my way down to the beach because <laughs> I, I just love the Rockaways. So enjoying that community and, you know, the nesting birds in the summertime that love the beach, too.
0: Yeah, that definitely sort of ties in well with your school experience as a coastal environments major. I want to ask a final question of you both. Well, maybe it's two. We'll see. So we are on the cusp of spring migration, and I'm curious about your goal birds this season. If you if you have any.
2: I have a lot of gold birds, honestly. I think these past two springs, every year I'm like, okay, I'm going to see all the warblers, every single species. And then I never do. I always miss a few. So I have a few that I haven't really checked off my life list yet. And that includes things like the hooded warbler, the cerulean warbler, and the worm-eating warbler. And there could be a few more. Um, And then the other one is a bird that I have seen, it's my favorite bird, but I actually wanna see the mating dance of the American Woodcock because they have a really beautiful mating ritual where they fly up in the air and they paint, which is like this buzzing noise. And they're also nocturnal birds. So you have to go like right at dusk. And every year, again, I'm like, I'm gonna go see it, I'm gonna go see it, and I never do. So this year I have, I have a big year ahead of me. I'm planning to see a lot of species and a lot of behaviors that I never have seen before. That mating dance sounds really beautiful.
0: I <laughs> hope you do get to see it. It
1: Definitely. really is. I saw it for the first time, I believe, in 2020. And I was just like, wow, what was that? <laughs> I don't know if I really have, like, goals. I definitely have birds that I haven't seen and I could like double check on my eBird list. They can tell me what birds are like need birds or year birds or life birds that can pass through during migration. And that's a helpful tool, but you know, it comes in handy. I'll see if I'll use it this year. I just, I like to like, I'm like spread it out, spread out the love. So what I get to, I get to what I don't, that's another spring migration. I can, See, definitely would love to see a woodcock, but we're having some pop-up events recently and everyone's seeing them in Bryant Park. There's all this buzz around them, so I'm just like, "Oh, I want to see one, but it's okay if I don't." I don't know, I love hummingbirds and I really just enjoy like taking off a day or two during like peak migration and just going at my own pace to a location that I like or I think is not too busy and just enjoying what I, what I encounter.
0: Yeah. You're very Zen about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I think one year I definitely had a friend who was coming from another country who was like, I've never been to New York. Can you show me the birds? And I was like, we will hit all these parks. I've made a list. Give me the birds you've never seen. You know, you only have a few days, we will make it worthwhile. And We saw like, I think they got like maybe 60 birds during that weekend and got, I even got myself a a new life bird, which was like a Chuck Will's widow. Didn't even know what I was looking at when I first saw it. I knew it was a bird, but I didn't know what type and that was just an amazing day. But, you know, I think all days can be amazing as long as you're doing it in a way that is amazing to yourself.
0: Yeah, that's something really positive to hold, right? Because sometimes there can be a bit of a frenzy that could and if the day doesn't live up to your expectations, there can be disappointment, but just sort of keeping what your observation in mind um can really help sort of temper some of the emotions around birding. I have to say that it feels like Bryant Park is like the new stopover site for the woodcock. It's every year without fail, they seem to show up there. So that was where I first, I saw my first um, Woodcock. So I haven't been this year yet, but maybe I'll, I'll stop in. Uh, so then my final question for you, what's your vision for birding in New York city? So you're, you know, you both grew up here. You're both steep in the community. Where would you like to see both the community go and even the city go in terms of conservation policy?
2: Oh, that's a big question. Well, I'll start off with what I would like to see on the individual level. And I think that I'm just so proud of New Yorkers for loving birds as much as they do and for sharing their love of birds and their passion with the rest of the world. And I think that's something that we can really capitalize on and sort of use as a way to give back to the environment. And I think that that's one of my goals as well when it comes to my whole education platform on social media. Like I I have uh, big ideas in mind of where to take things next. And one of the big things that I would like to see is people donating to organizations, you know, really kind of giving time or energy Um, back to birding in ways that they didn't before. There's also another birder. Her name is Haley and she does this all the time. And I really like this idea, but every time she goes out birding, she brings a garbage bag with her and she also picks up trash in the New York City parks whenever she goes birding. So I, I think that's a really cool way to be like, you know, hey, we love birds, but, you know, here's one way that we can also help clean up their habitat in the process. So it's really just like giving back. And then maybe in terms of policy, I'm not very familiar with education policy, but I think it would be great if we could implement birding into the Department of Ed, like whole curriculum plan and getting students out more. I think that would be so cool.
1: Yeah, and definitely I feel like birders are really great at advocating for the birds, whether it's for buildings that have bird-safe glass or, you know, building more native plants and wildlife areas for the birds, whether they're grasslands or forested. And I think birders should also advocate more for other people and other birders, whether that's on a one-on-one level or in a group setting, but also as a social setting, because Areas that are great for birds to thrive in would be great for humans to thrive in as well. So the more green spaces we have for birds or other creatures, that improves the quality of a community overall. So I feel like definitely putting your voice out there for other people as well.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I think there's such a connection between what you've both said. So thinking about individual action. so. When you bird, you can also be doing other things for the environment. If children as they go K through 12 are exposed to birds and birds conservation, then you're sort of bringing up the next generation or cohort of birders. And then making spaces for birds in all communities is good for the people who live in those communities. So you don't always have to go make that special trip to Central Park, for example. If there are a lot of really high quality green spaces in your neighborhood, you may end up getting a really nice subset of the species you would find in Central Park. So I think there's a way in which there's individual action and that sort of building that up to like city level action and it's not one or the other, it's both. And I'm really so happy that you both agreed to come on the podcast and talk about your birding life in New York City. And it's always a pleasure to hear people's bird stories. And I've, I just enjoy your social media presence so much. I'm hopefully folks who listen to this episode, if they aren't already followers, will see what you're up to on social media.
1: Yeah, no, thank you for inviting us. This was great.
2: Yeah, thank you.
0: Our guests, Akila and Alyssa, describe their interest in making an impact in one's community by sharing your passions about birds and nature in your neighborhood. They remind us that birding slowly, where you wait and watch, or listen, can foster a better understanding of birds and might change competitive birding habits, such as chasing birds for the best photo, which can negatively affect birds and their habitats. Akilah and Alyssa use public programs and social media to support positive ethics in birding. They are passionate about education, and about sharing a love of birding with others. We hope you take away another message from our guests. Biological diversity includes human diversity. Birding is often an exclusive domain, but nature is for all, and safe access for everyone is paramount. Finally, Your bird story is made in New York City, and Alyssa and Akila are New Yorkers. They know that New York City provides opportunities for diverse people, plants, and animals to thrive together. You can follow Akila on Twitter at BirdingQueens, B-I-R-D-I-N-G-Q-U-E-E-N-S, and Alyssa on Instagram at alizard, A-L-I-Z-U-R-D.